But in the middle of a financial crisis in our Chicago public schools, where they're closing schools on the south and west sides, where those schools are the epicenters of their neighborhoods and really a lifeline for those neighborhoods, you, you kind of feel like there has to be a common sacrifice across the whole city. Those communities are really losing a lot. You know, we got to buckle our belts and make things work with the resources that we have. Obviously, we just don't have a lot right now. Welcome to Deeper Dish. Welcome to Deeper Dish. Before we get to our interview, do you all love that intro? I love it. I love the sound of the city and the the elevated train, or as we call it here in Chicago, the L. I love it. And I want to thank Alyssa Moxley for that intro because it's pretty awesome. So today we have a very, very special guest. We have Caroline Vickery. If many of you have been keeping up with the news in the past couple of years, she ran for 43rd Ward Alderman. It was one of the most contentious races in Chicago history. It actually was the most expensive aldermanic race in Chicago history. Like they spent about $1.5 million between the two candidates, which is a great deal of money for a ward with 14,000 constituents. She really did a really good job of kind of walking us through how running for office can get really dirty, how it forces you to become kind of a person that is skeptical of a lot of things out there. I really enjoyed hearing her talk about how she balances running the campaign you know, with her family and then how the, the, the campaign affects her family as well. One of the great things about Caroline is that she is a North Side Irish Catholic, as she would call it, girl through and through. You know? So she spent most of her time on the North Side of Chicago, attended Lane Tech, uh, spent some time down at University of Illinois, go Illini, and then returned to go to law school at Loyola. She has nothing but love for the North Side, enjoys the lake and putting in art installations throughout Lincoln Park. Uh, she knows everything about all the local schools and high schools in the area. And one of the more amazing things as well is that she's just not, you know, living here in Lincoln Park and doing nothing else. She volunteers in other neighborhoods throughout Chicago, specifically North Lawndale, the Austin area. She's also spending time now out in, in Oak Park. And so it really is about giving back and servant leadership, as she would call it. So I'm excited for you all to hear this interview. But there's one thing I need to tell you, which is I'm being very vulnerable here. I, I told you all in previous episodes that I'm a novice at podcasting, and I made a, my first big mistake last week. Somehow I deleted a file. It was the the initial two-hour interview with Caroline, and she was really cool about it. She came back in, and we, we were able to do this interview again today. And so I, I'm so appreciative of, of her time, and, and as you see, she's very, very candid. That's kind of how she ran her campaign. My daughter's favorite park, Junkwool Park, the water feature. Without much further ado, Caroline Vickery. Not only was your race one of the most or the most expensive race in automatic history in Chicago, 
You yep. also had the joy or pain of coming up short by how many? 79? 79 votes. 79 votes. Ouch. Uh, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> I think a lot of people, when they hear 79 votes, they think, oh, it's just 79 votes. I mean, 79 out of how many How many total people voted in, in your election? It was over 14,000 votes. It is incredible. It came that close. Yeah, so so 79 out of 14,000 is a really low percentage. You're running against a, was it two or three-time incumbent? No, a one-term. But she had run twice before. Okay. She ran once against the incumbent alderman and okay. lost because, okay. as I learned, it's very difficult to it's run it against an incumbent yeah. alderman. And then she ran a second time um, and went to a runoff with for an empty seat. And so she had essentially run twice. And then she had also run for a Democratic committee person in the meantime. So she had actually run five times in the ward before the race against me. So she right. was very experienced in this ward. Right. She knew what it encompassed and, um, and how much money it took mm-hmm. a lot. 79 is not a large number, especially no. out of 14,000. So just an average onlooker would say, well, that's not, that's not that bad. You can find 79 votes. Could you explain to us how 79 is actually more than just 79? Well, it's actually an eternity away, and this is why. When we had a lot of voting irregularities in the election day and the absentee ballots, leading up to the election, nursing homes vote absentee Mm -hmm. because if their building is not a polling place, they vote absentee. And so they have a whole setup. They have election judges. They have assistance. And so we would poll watch at some of those places. At one location, we were present. I was present and I watched this take place. I was a certified poll watcher. We would see residents go to the booth and they would need assistance because some of them couldn't read or they just needed assistance in figuring out how to complete the ballot. They would say, well, I don't know who I want to vote for. And they would say, do you, you know, do you want Michelle Smith or Caroline Vickery? Mm -hmm. And they'd say, I don't know. And then they would say, well, Michelle Smith is your current alderman. And that's illegal. (laughs) We saw it happen over and over again. So Mm -hmm. there was a valid basis for challenging those votes. Every vote is considered private. So you don't take away that ballot. You don't open it up and say, who is it for? Okay, we'll toss it out. You take the votes away based on the percentage that was tabulated in that precinct. So it's possible that I might have won more votes in Mm -hmm. those precincts than my opponent. And so I might have actually lost more if I challenge votes right. and they were tossed out. So an example would be if you had won 60% and she had won 40% and you removed 10, they're going to remove six of yours and four of hers in a particular section or segment of the ward. Exactly. It's set up to basically preserve the results, whatever the results are. <laughs> it's almost set up, I want to say, to, it almost encourages this kind of behavior because right. there's right. really no downside. Right. If they're tossed out, they're tossed out. Right. But you already have calculated those votes in your favor. It's a weird system, but it is the way it is. My attorney said that if it were within 10 votes, or maybe within five, that's when people challenge. But 79, is an, it's an eternity. To try and move the needle that much is almost impossible. So when you sat down with your lawyer, did he give you like a percentage? You have a 1% chance of getting this. No, he didn't He didn't give percentages. He just said I wouldn't recommend he wouldn't it. Re- he reassured me that he was on my side. And were we closer? He would be charging in. So you have this heated battle, got contentious. Both of you have teams that are working for you. Both of you have constituents that are behind you. What is that like to afterwards to come back and, and, and have to have that conversation to say, you know, it, it's 79 votes, but this is the right thing to do to kind of move on? 
Well, we had kind of an inner circle of people who had advised me, including my husband and, you know, many of my my friends who had worked in the campaign and a few lawyers and people with a little bit of political background, some a lot. And we just had that very discussion that that I explained that it's just going to be really difficult. Some people wanted me to fight just for the sake of fighting. They just wanted me to not give up. I just had to explain that that's just, I'm realistic. I'm just not going to do that. You want to leave the race with credibility and with grace, and you want to do it in a way that leaves something on the table. You want to walk away with something positive attached to your name. And I thought that's what I was doing. By making a clean break, by conceding, by being gracious, I think I walked away with a lot of credibility. And the notes and and memos that I received in the coming weeks proved that because it was overwhelmingly positive. Nice. So how many debates were there? I think we had... Seven debates. Okay. So you, you had seven debates. You probably had 100, 150 sit-downs with individual people, raising all this money, then also trying to get people to work for you. That's another sit-down conversation. Mm-hmm. What would make someone sign up for this kind of lifestyle? <laughs> well, it helps not to really understand what you're getting yourself right. into and not right. to really know and, and to be idealistic and optimistic, I think, is what I would say I was. I really got into the race because I felt strongly about a couple of issues mm-hmm. in, in the ward. It's not that I had dreams of glory or you know being coronated as any sort of elected official. I really felt strongly about policy and issues. So you didn't want a crown? You didn't want the crown? I, I no, it's a heavy crown, right? Yeah. Isn't that what they say? Yeah, heavy is the head that wears a crown. Yeah, In, indeed. And so, I did know that what I was working toward and what I was getting myself into was not going to be easy because mm-hmm. I've been I've been in enough leadership positions in my life to know right. that it's really not easy to lead. It's not easy because there are a lot of people who are sniping, who disagree with you. There's a lot of meanness mm-hmm. and it's not easy to lead. I feel like anytime there is politics and power involved, you really get the the ugliest version of people, whether it be your competition, whether it be other constituents that aren't voting for you. Mm-hmm. Even with the, the recent election mm-hmm. of uh, our, our president elect against Hillary, it just got really ugly. And even today, you know, it's still ugly and people are kind of in mourning and then the other side's gloating and there's no holes barred. And, mm-hmm. I, and I just don't understand how people get that way. Did you experience any of that afterwards? Down. I did really benefit from the fact that I had never been involved mm-hmm. in, in politics before. This was my first race. I really came into it via issues. So I think people really did give me the pass. But there were still people that were against me. There was a small group of people that I think, well, not so small, but voted against me. And they were just very angry with me because of my position mm-hmm. on the school issue. Yep. And I, re- I really did feel that. I really felt like I had a respectable position and one that people might disagree with. Right. But it just became very personal. And you bring up the school thing. So I think that's kind of where this all started. So the, the first time didn't realize it was you, but the first time I came across your name was when I, I was reading the article. I don't know if it was the, the local DNA. Um, I think it was the Tribune. Was it the Tribune? Yes. It was It was just, you know, <laughs> I told my wife, there, there's this crazy white lady standing <laughs> up and not wanting to expand this this really nice school in an affluent area. Because And, and the, the reason she's given is that there are other schools on the south and west side that are closing down. And mm-hmm. I was like, this, this is, this. I want to see where this goes. And then sure enough... <laughs> Yeah, a few months later, you came knocking on my door, canvassing the neighborhood. But 
that's kind of where this all started, really, right? That's right. And and that was, you know, that was one of many reasons. There were so many reasons to be opposed to that expansion. But in the middle of a financial crisis in our Chicago public schools, mm-hmm. where they're closing schools on the south and west sides, yep. where those schools are the epicenters of their neighborhoods and really a lifeline mm-hmm. for those neighborhoods, you kind of feel like there has to be a common sacrifice across the whole city. Everyone's got to buckle up. You know, those communities are really losing a lot. You know, we got to buckle our belts yeah. and make things work with the resources that we have. Obviously, we just don't have a lot right now. Right, so right. you're always going to have spending in CPS. You always have roofs to repair, furnaces to replace. And there are neighborhoods that are overflowing and schools that are overflowing, surrounded by schools that are overflowing, surrounded by schools that are overflowing. We're not that case. And mm-hmm. so we were an overcrowded school in a sea of extra capacity. A lot, of, a lot of Lincoln Park homes have been converted from three flats to single-family homes. So right. we've actually stayed steady in our population. Mm-hmm. You know, more and more people are turning to public schools because they are highly they are rated. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. we really had it more of a distribution problem, and we have so many great schools in Lincoln right. Park. We're so fortunate. And right. I, I think we had a bunch of really great programs that mm-hmm. I think we could, for a lot less than the $20 million we spent to build an annex, we could start a program at the neighboring school and have some of the kids go to that school. There's a lot of anxiety among parents to have that school and to to be at a single school. I feel that concern and that worry, and you, we all worry about our kids, and we want what's best for them. I would argue that it's a little bit more selfish than that. I believe that you know when we bought our place, right on the you know the profile of the place is like what school district and what what specific school, and mm-hmm. I think that some people. They want to be able to put that school. They want their kids to attend that school while they're here, but they mm-hmm. want to be able to put that school on the profile in, yeah. in the event that they move on. Right? It makes well, it makes their, val- their, yeah. their home more valuable. Well, I, I didn't say that, but the people that were opposed to breaking up the district or moving a program here mm-hmm. or there mm-hmm. or, yeah, I mean, changing boundaries, right. they said that's going to reduce our property values. And yeah. people were furious about that. They said we paid into it or they bought into the Lincoln district and they wanted their kids to go there and they weren't in school yet. And, you know, there was no price attached to LaSalle school or for example, or Mm -hmm. Oscar Meyer, or there is Oscar Meyer is a neighborhood school, but it's because it's not a neighborhood school. So it's a magnet school. So you don't have, there's no value attached to it. I just think that I've seen so many changes take place in the city of Chicago since I went to high school Mm -hmm. and I went to Lane Tech by the way. And Lane Tech was a very different school when I went to school there than it is now. And you see these huge changes. They take yeah. place by the decade, by yeah. the year. Um, how, how so? How was it different? Well, you see so many schools coming into favor and becoming the hot school. And then mm-hmm. and then within a couple of years, yep. you know, Jones all of a sudden is the hot school yep. out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it used to be maybe fourth or fifth. And then, and it just seems like the schools kind of go through these cycles of yep. being the hot school. And, yeah. You know, you have to go there and you have to go here or there. And, you know, I think in the end, there are great teachers at so many different schools. And I think if your kid is doing well, Mm -hmm. they're reading books at home, they're they're taken out to museums, they're going to do well wherever they go. There are people who are worried because their kids aren't like that. They're struggling. Those are the ones who are I I definitely get the worry. I have a four-year-old, four-and-a-half. I got to make sure I say a half Mm because she freaks out if I don't (laughs) mention a half. A four-and-a-half-year-old. On a 17-month-old, and you're right, it, it is very important, um, those decisions. But one, one of the things that I liked about what you were preaching was mm-hmm. this idea that we need to think about the entire city. Mm-hmm. And, and you also talked about 
trust, I think inclusiveness, and then transparency, mm-hmm. right? Like those are things that you just don't pick up, right? Mm-hmm. You know, living in just living in Lincoln Park mm-hmm. that came from somewhere. So mm-hmm. where did you pick that? that stuff up, those well, values. I trace it back to probably Lane Tech. I mean, it, I think it's been with me my whole life. I grew up in Rogers Park on the north side of the city, which is one of the most diverse neighborhoods, although my little pocket didn't feel so diverse. I felt like it was a little, you know, Irish Catholic enclave, but we had right, right. around us, we had a very Jewish neighborhood to the mm-hmm. west and an Indian neighborhood just a few blocks away. And then we had a big Pakistani and Nigerian community to the east. So I guess that's where it started. And then when you go to Lane Tech and you have literally every nationality and race every under the planet and nobody cared, like just nobody cared. It was just so fluid. And, and I felt like that's what I I wish the world were more like. And granted that was a magnet school back then. So Mm -hmm. it was, it was a little bit selective to get into there. I feel that the Chicago public schools, their selective enrollment programs in schools Mm -hmm. are, are very diverse, but I also feel as if there's a lot of focus in getting into those schools and Mm -hmm. there's more pressure on kids now to get into those schools, no matter where you start out. If you Mm -hmm. start out in private school and you want to go to the the selective enrollment schools are some of the best in the country. Mm -hmm. But then I also look at it from a a resource standpoint. You know, I look at a Whitney Young, Mm -hmm. this is on the West side and Mm -hmm. then just down Congress Mm -hmm. is Crane. Mm -hmm. And it's just a very different, school and those schools are probably less than a mile apart and with different resources both on what they offer kids like programming wise and also what the students parents can put in because sometimes that's a huge differentiator between between certain schools is how much time and resources parents put into the school and i think that when you stood up for that the lincoln school thing Mm -hmm. to me that kind of resonated right i think it was unusual a lot of people were not happy at all that I was saying that I was saying that I was I was very happy. Yeah, I grew up. I spent some time on the west side. I went mm-hmm. to Lawndale and Mason and then Andrew Jackson, which is just kind of west of the West Loop. So I was mm-hmm. I, I said you were crazy. Mm-hmm. I, I, actually, I said the crazy <laughs> white lady. <laughs> but but I think sometimes you need some crazy mm-hmm. like that. Right. I, you know, you think about what the ideal would be. You want to have options for kids from these other neighborhoods. There's mm-hmm. not going to be enough room for everyone to go to a magnet school. It's just the, the demographics in the city just don't work. But it's room at enough of the high-performing schools where you have one part of it is a magnet program where you and you're bringing kids in. And every school should have that. There shouldn't really be schools that are all neighborhood. And, you know, I think there's room at all these schools. Mm-hmm. It should be set up to allow for that. And I think, you know, that should be a broader goal. And that just it just didn't seem like that was the goal at Lincoln. I mean, it's just yeah. it was just expand, you know, right. grow, 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 because it's a great. Pro- well, it's. I believe what you're talking about when you talk about the school expanding, and we talked about this when you were canvassing too, is that certain schools reach a certain point where getting too big is too much, right? It, you 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 yeah. change the ecosystem of the school. That was one of those nuances that you were talking about that I thought could really get lost on people. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's just like some people that bring up graphs, you know, at a debate or you know, some, some speech and it's like, but it's, it's very hard. And I think you did a, you did a really good job of explaining it. Mm -hmm. But I I also think that you can miss people with that too. Like you don't need a school like that size, you know, thousand kids cramped up in a small space. I know. I think it's too many small people to be put in a single place. And I don't think people were really thinking about that. I think they heard my message about the equality issue and there were Mm -hmm. all sorts of arguments saying, well, we, 
the money is going here. We're paying money to expand the school because we're successful. It was just, it was like a cognitive dissonance. So that was the, that was the argument that got all the attention. And then, but there's these underlying issues about how big should a school be? Mm -hmm. How, how many small people together in one building makes sense? I definitely feel like people missed that part. Yeah. And that just got lost. I mean, there was so, there was so much noise and so much anger and frustration Mm -hmm. and but there was another big issue mm-hmm. in our community, which I think was the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the, the trust and transparency mm-hmm. <laughs> came in. Mm-hmm. Because one day we also read in the DNA or even the Tribune or the Sun-Times, it was just like, this, is th- this thing is going to happen. There was no public hearings. And a lot of people, I'd say out of the mm-hmm. 14,000 people, or maybe even more, because there might be some people that, that live in the surrounding wards that want some mm-hmm. feedback. A lot of people don't go, but the mm-hmm. people that do go are mm-hmm. really hardcore. Mm-hmm. All these folks that belong to all these neighborhood associations yeah, yeah. are really hardcore. And the ones that weren't involved didn't feel like they had a voice. And the ones that were involved, they got a piece of something. What happened was the message got very muddled at Children's. And there were all different groups coming in from all different parts of the city. You had... Mm-hmm. The preservationists saying, we want to save those white terracotta buildings, those, the white elephant building. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. had the affordable housing people saying this should include affordable housing. Yeah. Great. Then you have the open space people. You have, you know, there's all the people that are concerned about the businesses and want parking. And so there are so many different issues. And so, you know, the developer listens to all this. But really the big issue in the back of everyone's head is how dense, how big is this project going to be? How much can this neighborhood handle? We have narrow little streets everywhere. Fullerton's a mess. That really got lost in the whole discussion, unfortunately. Um, I just want I want parking. Yeah. Right? If you're going to build <laughs> all this this capacity for mm-hmm. people to live and dwell, I want parking because it's well, a nightmare. It's a big debate in the city because they're encouraging density and they're encouraging density by public transportation. So I get that. My son is an architect. We have debates about this all the time. Mm-hmm. I get that you want to you want to build dense near public transportation. I just don't know if it applies here. I just don't believe that people that are going to be living in Lincoln Park are not going to have cars at all. And maybe they aren't. I think they're going to be parking on surrounding streets where it's... Even if you go to, you know, you go to bigger cities, you go to New York, they have like tall buildings everywhere. I still feel like people drive. Mm -hmm. I I still feel like there's parking. That's all I wanted for this neighborhood. I I don't like the idea that it takes me 20 minutes just to get to 90, 94, which is the way I get to and from downtown. We're right in the middle. We have a perfect location. I'm Mm -hmm. really close to the train. Mm -hmm. I'm really close to the metro. Mm -hmm. I'm really close to all all these different um, veins to get in and out of my neighborhood. But it it takes a long time just to get to them. Just to get to the expressway. That's a big problem for the 43rd Ward because there's there's four streets. There's Mm -hmm. Fullerton. There's Webster, yep. there's Armitage, and there's North Avenue. And two of those have only a single lane bridge over the expressway. Webster doesn't have an entrance. We have lots of traffic and congestion issues. I'd like to say that everyone's going to just bike and take the L. I think that would be great. I just, I don't, I don't see it. We're going to go through a lot more pain before we get yeah. to that. I also think it's a generational thing. Mm-hmm. I think biking is becoming very prevalent. You know, people are, more and more people are doing it. I don't do it because I just that's just not my thing. I tested it out for a week. I mm-hmm. took the Divi, mm-hmm. and it was scary. It was really scary. I mean, <laughs> I, it got to and from work mm-hmm. downtown, but it's it's really scary because people are they're dry. I mean, there are cars, and sometimes they don't see you, and your head has to be on the swivel. And I get yeah. that. I think eventually we will get there, but it just takes time to ingrain that in our culture that 
if biking is a real option. Mm-hmm. Even to go grocery shopping, you need certain accessories and things like that. But I, I love it. I mean, I, I think I, I do it's, it's the way to go. I Separated bike lanes. Yes, I, you know, I, I love biking on the lakefront. I don't like biking through traffic. I don't either. <laughs> I, you know, I take I, the divvy yeah. down, down to the daily center. And once you hit that bridge, it's terrifying. It, yeah. You're right. And that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. When you the, hit the bridge. When you hit the bridge, yeah. it's supposed to be two or three lanes and it returns into like four lanes and, and they're all in there in the biking. There's no respect for it. With the new biking lanes that we've built in the city, I've become a better, more observant driver. Back in the day, I mean, when I first learned how to drive, very rarely you see a biker on your mirror. Yeah. Now I look just in case because yeah. I've seen it too many times where yeah, somebody just, made that right. Just wait till you try and teach your kids to drive in the city. Uh, they have to look for pedestrians, bikers, cars, yeah. going at all speeds. and No texting. Yeah, <laughs> and no texting. So looking back during this election, is there one or two things that you wish you could have told yourself or that you wish you would have known before that you, that you found out through the process? Well, it's a double-edged sword because the more you know, the less enthusiastic you might be. I might not have done it had I known what I was going to be up against, had I known the, <laughs> the, the amount of money that yeah. was going to be spent against yeah. me. Give me a number. Uh, well, that's one thing about elections is that you don't, you, there's no price tag. Right. You have to report all the money in and the money out. So we can see the money that was spent on my opponent's campaign yep. up to a certain point, up to the election. And we know that she was still retiring campaign debt and might, might still be to this day. We, right. we don't know. We estimate that it was probably around 1.2 million. 875 was calculated on election day. But then there were fundraisers with all the local businesses yeah. trying to raise money. There was a story mm-hmm. in the Sun-Times about that, trying to retire the campaign debt. Right. So just hitting up businesses, saying, hey, help me retire my campaign mm-hmm. debt, which I, I find outrageous. It's not going for business development or right. anything beneficial for the neighbors. Just help me retire my campaign debt. So I know we know, we estimate it's about $1.2 I, I was proud and thrilled that I raised $250,000 in my first campaign. Right. But it's nothing compared to what was spent. So, so are you saying that if you would have known you were going to get outspent a six x, you probably would have said no? This well, I don't. I don't know. What, I I can't say. I I knew I was up against steep odds. Yeah. I wish I would have known more. I I did get tripped up in the questionnaires, and those are the questionnaires that come to you when as soon as you announce, you get questionnaires from the yep. two news the two major newspapers and dozens of other organizations, special interest organizations from across the city, they can be 100 to 150 questions long. And each one of them is your policy position on a certain topic. And it's daunting. It's daunting. That is one of the most daunting things of the campaign. So I was rapid fire answering these questionnaires. And so I threw out an idea because the Chicago Tribune insisted that we be specific about our ideas to raise revenue because our city is in such deep financial straits. We and, are. and in order to avoid raising property taxes, mm-hmm. what are your ideas? And I, I said, well, one of the ideas I, I would think right in our own backyard is our lakefront, which will never go out of style. People will never get sick of the lakefront. Right. They'll always want to come here in the summer, enjoy the lakefront, enjoy the beaches. So I said, why don't we charge more at the lakefront parking lots? They will always fill up. I guarantee you there's always someone who would love to park in that North Avenue Beach parking lot. And it'll also encourage people, if it's too expensive, to take public transportation, hopefully get some of the traffic out of Lincoln Park, and then get people to walk more, which is what we want because our businesses actually in Lincoln Park are not doing so hot, even though we have so many crowds. A lot of businesses really 
are not doing so great. So I thought it was a brilliant idea, or at least a creative one that maybe could be tinkered with. It was blown up into a television ad with my voice <laughs> and the ominous narrator's voice speaking about how Did they put horns on you on your head oh, yeah like devil clo- horns did, did they that. really no they didn't no <laughs> close to that close to that they you know made mm-hmm. me sound like caroline vickery and then they put yeah. pictures of barricades like i wanted to barricade london style uh, lincoln park wow that was a wake-up call anything mm-hmm. could be twisted and made to sound very ominous mm-hmm. if given the right political consultant yeah. and the right video techniques so that's very dangerous though some of the messaging and what you call it dog whistle politics that 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 gets away from like really what you can control you don't have the authority to barricade off and build a wall in lincoln park you you just don't no and it's not a radical idea to look at what the mayor's doing right now what did city council just vote on raising parking rates in Greeleyville. this is not a radical idea the mayor campaigned on it before he was elected the first time anything can be taken and twisted into no doubt no doubt one of the problems i have with people and their ideas and when candidates pitch their ideas is that i know there's more right and i know you have to give certain sound bites and someone's probably coaching you no 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 stay within 30 seconds you Mm -hmm. know get this out in 30 seconds say this but every idea needs to be evaluated on its own merits for example it took us many, many, many years to get into this situation that we're in. And it's not going to be fixed. You're not going to raise rev- you're not going to raise taxes to get out. You're not going to cut. You, you need a lot of them. You need yeah. to attract businesses here. Like you said, the businesses in Lincoln Park, there are all these things that need to happen. How did you feel about being attacked for maybe something that's a really good idea, but just oh, in a campaign, it just doesn't sound right. It just frustrates me. I mean, yeah. this is how... This is why Donald Trump didn't give any ideas because, you know, I'm not saying anything about the Democratic Party or Hillary Clinton attacking him. He was wise. If you don't give any ideas, you can't be shot down. You can't be Um, attacked. You can't be attacked. He did some Uh, other stuff, too. He he did a few other things that were unacceptable. No, no, no. They actually were acceptable. (laughs) 49% of the people thought it was acceptable. But I... I love the ideas. I love the specifics. I love hearing that from candidates. That's why I think everyone thought Hillary was going to win, because she actually had specific solutions. We can debate about whether or not they would work, but I think you really should bring your ideas to the table mm-hmm. and debate them fairly and honestly. That's what a democracy is about, right? right. So, the democratic process, yeah. Right. I didn't hear any ideas other than just the, the party line about reducing, you know, cutting expenses right. and... We will not raise. We will not raise taxes. Right. Well, what do you do once you get elected? You raise taxes. I mean, that's what the city yeah. council did. This our alderman voted for the tax hike. You know, the mayor proposed it, and it was mm-hmm. it was um, approved. Yeah. And so let's just be honest about it. And I right. was honest about I was honest about taxes going up, and yeah. that was an unusual move. I think. I think it fits into that whole narrative that you can't. There are certain things you're not supposed to say. Right. On the campaign. But I just, it drives just, me crazy. It's just dishonest. It's, everybody knows it. We all know it. Yeah. Look at our budget. It's, you know, it's crazy. This is just my own personal observation. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I want to get your take on mm-hmm. it. So close, 79 votes. This person wins, right? By all anybody's measure, your being in that race has probably made her a better alderman. How do you feel that you've, pushed her to be more accountable and and that could actually hurt you if you decide to throw your hat back in it's a mixed bag i i put out a lot of ideas i think i did make her a better alderman i think her communication is better because my communication was i think really good during my campaign i had really thoughtful 
newsletters that went out, mm -hmm. it wasn't just about me. It was about celebrating other people in the community and what they're doing. And I, I think we're seeing a little bit more of that. There's still a lot of, you know, self-congratulation. But, right, right. but there's more information about what's going on in the ward, which is the way I think it should be. I'm hearing a lot more responsiveness mm -hmm. from the office. That's painful because I don't want her to be a great alderman. And I don't think she's quite there. I think there's right. still still a lot of issues left. Right. So We started this out a little bit talking about you, know, you, you made a decision to stand up for the entire city, the, the entire um, public school system, so to speak. What are your thoughts on the current environment right now in the city? I thought that was an interesting move that Walter Burnett pulled back on the Obama High School yeah. in order to stave off the teacher strike. I thought that was a noble move um, and a wise move. Mm -hmm. I'm just glad there's not a strike. I'm really glad for all those kids and teachers. There's still a lot of a lot of problems in the city that I'm with you. There are a lot of problems here. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I don't know if someone moved the goalposts or they're changing up metrics or anything. The graduation rates at mm -hmm. all the levels are getting much better. Mm -hmm. they've, they've, they've been gradually, not even gradually, they've been pretty yeah. good. I mean, they've been significantly increasing, especially in, in areas where they've targeted schools. Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what they call them. They call them level five or red, red line schools that are underperforming. Mm -hmm. It's been getting better. I felt like the threat of a strike, which is always the nuclear button on both sides, mm -hmm. it took away from the positive things that both the teachers and administration were doing. And I felt bad for the kids because the kids are the ones that really suffer. And the parents, because there are a lot of parents that are out here working that count on the school for more than just education. It's like it's I mean, let's be real about it. It's a place mm -hmm. where you park your kids. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you don't have anywhere to park your kids. Yeah. You got to take off time. And a lot of people work hourly. I just felt like it didn't allow us to truly celebrate all the gains that we've made mm -hmm. you know, well, I as think a community. Back in the first term of Mayor Emanuel's administration, there were successes with the schools, the graduation rates like yep. you were talking about. It got drowned out because of all the school closings. Yep. I mean, that was the first thing. And yep. there's still a lot of positive news, but that all really yep. took the front and center stage. Yep. But there are positive things happening. Yep. I think there's a lot of, you know, that one school on the south side that they really fought to keep open. And then they, I can't remember the name of the school, but they invested all the resources and it made it into a tech and green school. Yep. And it's a picture of success. It's right. really, I right. love stories like that. There seems to be this push to build new buildings all the time. And I really think people want programming and they want smaller classes more than anything. Yes. We want our buildings to be clean and dry mm -hmm. and warm. Yeah. But, safe. We want safe but, schools. Yeah. And safe. We don't think about safe so much in Lincoln Park. True. But that's what I mean safe. by safe. Like yeah. dry. Right. Know. I mean, I know that's, that's what I wanted as a parent. I wanted small classes mm -hmm. and I wanted good programs. I didn't care if it was fancy. I didn't care what yeah. it looked like. I kind of like those old, the old Chicago public school buildings. Mm -hmm. They're, there's a charm to them. I yep. really, you know, those old big windows. Wide I think stairwells. Yeah, there's a little. take up way too much space. I know, <laughs> I know. You can, have you, have you can have classes on those yeah. stairs. But I think there is there's this master plan that the city has for building new buildings, yeah. and nobody knows it exists. Right. But there is a master plan. They just don't follow it. Because, unfortunately, politics becomes right. involved, and politicians veto the master plan, and they say, I want a school here, because they know that it gets votes. That's unfortunate. Because I, I really think that, we should follow a coherent, consistent plan for right. the entire city, get class sizes down, increase programming. And right. I think it's going to be a really good system. This is one of the few mm -hmm. questions I'm, I'm actually going to – you don't have to answer it okay. if you don't want to because it's a dangerous question okay. to answer. Where did you stand on the school closing? I will, I will answer. 
I did think they had to take place because I think that we did have a lot of extra capacity. And in this cost cutting mode, we were, it was desperate. It was desperate times. I think they did it well. I think they had a lot of resources devoted to those, making sure those schools Mm -hmm. worked. And I think it worked out better than people thought. But while you're doing that, you can't then go and do what you did at Lincoln. Yes, we all have to tighten our belts everywhere. It's not fun. But I just don't feel like you can have a double standard and then be showering new construction on other parts of the city. I yeah. think. But you know, the argument is, oh, well, that's operating and this is capital. And I'm like, at the end of the day, it's cash, especially. In oh, I school. hear that argument all the time. Oh, a place like a school, it's cash. It doesn't matter if it's operating capital and the school is cash. Someone, you can see if it's a business. Yeah, someone divides it up. For me, went to business school. If you're not utilizing the asset till its fullest, I just have a question like, what are mm-hmm. we going to do with that asset? Over time, Chicago's population has gone down a little bit, mm-hmm. but it hasn't grown like mm-hmm. other cities around us. Mm-hmm. Within the city, the population of students has moved in different places. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have the ability to pick up a school and move it. So we need to be flexible. We, mm-hmm. in the future, build flexible institutions. Because we don't have that option, you do have to close schools mm-hmm. and you do have to repurpose them. I feel like they closed schools, but they didn't really have a game plan. I hear. Oh, that's capital and that's operating. I, I'm not buying that. Then I hear from up the other side, we can't close this school because of kids are crossing different gang lines. Mm-hmm. And that's a real problem. That's a different problem. That's a problem for police mm-hmm. in the community. Mm-hmm. That's not an education problem. This is my opinion. This is really getting into the thorny topic of Jenner and Manier. Just to the south of us, they were going to close Manier because Manier only has about 300 kids in it. And they were going to put those kids at Jenner, and there was a lawsuit. And this is really the roots of the Lincoln School issue. There was discussion that they were going to bring the Maneer kids and put them into the Lincoln Park schools just on the north side of North Avenue. And people went berserk. But it was really the story of two Chicagos. Because you have these schools that are 99 or 100% African-American, kids below the poverty line. And why can we not figure out a way to have those kids mixed in with kids across the street on yep. North Avenue? I mean, yep. I, I just find that to be the real tragedy. How often do you think that you are talking to one another across the city besides just showing up at city council and, and voting, like really coming together and making plans and say, okay, this makes sense for our five or six wards and I don't know. There was a movement afoot on the north side with a lot of these, a lot of neighborhood high schools mm-hmm. where a lot of the aldermen kind of got together and they created this, a neighborhood school organization. Okay. We're going to support our neighborhood schools because I think this is Amaya Pawar's idea to kind of encourage that neighborhood school idea. We had talked about that earlier in the show. I'm not sure that that's the exact solution, but I can understand why th- these neighborhoods feel like all the top students are being siphoned off Mm -hmm. for all the magnet schools. So then you're left in the neighborhoods. Brain drain. Yeah, yeah, brain drain. Our aldermen did not join that coalition. I don't know why. I don't know why. I would like to see more broad-based thinking coalitions Mm -hmm. among different neighborhoods about what is the best plan. And I've been thinking about this a lot, about city council and the way it works. I've been a very close observer for the past several years now. And I think it's another argument in favor of not having so many wards across the city and having a smaller city council, actually, because I think 
with a smaller city council, you're going to make more decisions that are more global, and they're going to be better for the city overall. You get rid of a lot of the politics and the local political favors that take place with the menu money being spent on different pet projects. I just, I think that all is very poisonous. You're not going to win any love from your fellow aldermen. I know. Speaking like that, because <laughs> I, I agree with you. I think, one, there are probably too many wards. Two, how they district is crazy. You shouldn't district based on who's running for office. Just put a grid on the on the map and just cut it up that way and let the people, it sounds flippant, but let, let the people fall where they may. It Good. should be by neighborhoods. And neighborhoods, you have a neighborhood map of Chicago on your wall, yes, and that's how, that's how yeah. it should be arranged. It should be neighborhoods, you know your neighborhood. And yeah, you, you know your neighborhood, you know your people. There's one ward that runs from like east to the lake to mm-hmm. like Oak Park. Yeah, the second, that doesn't the second make, ward. That doesn't make any sense to yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine like That's canvassing crazy. your ward? Yeah. That ward was gerrymandered to get Bob Fioretti out of office. That was the only reason. <laughs> it, it looks like that. And crazy. It happens at the local level, it happens at the state level, it happens at the federal level. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. Was there a fair maps amendment on this ballot? I don't think so. Uh, I don't I think, think that, it was. I think they were trying to get it on and it didn't. So during the election, not after, during the election, what, what was your safe place in the city to go to like just relax to get away we all have our spots you know and you you went to Loyola mm-hmm. I mean you, you pretty much have been on the north side I mean you're mm-hmm. you're tried and true you're here mm-hmm. you're, you have roots here mm-hmm. you're not going anywhere you're not sitting on some board in in the north shore potentially mm-hmm. you're helping people like Anyway, I'm yeah. not trying to give you your campaign message, but <laughs> I'm a local girl. I'm right. a local girl. I'm from go. I'm from Rogers Park. I went yeah. to Lane Tech. I went yeah. to the University of Illinois and Loyola Law School. So that's who I am. And I yes, I have many favorite places. I was just telling a friend of mine today that one of the things I did not do during the campaign very well is ever set aside any any time for myself. And I think it's something you really have to be selfish about. I kind of held my breath for nine months. I just held my breath and I thought I've got to be working every minute on this campaign. I never took time out for exercise. I think twice I went, I went to an exercise class. I lost a lot of weight. Most people gain weight on campaigns. I lost weight. I never ate because I was always in front of constituents. You can't be sticking food in your mouth Mm -hmm. at events. And then I didn't really exercise and that was not a healthy, I think you really have to set aside time to exercise. And I will build that in if I ever run for office again. It's important for your mental sanity. I I have some advice for you. Yeah. Just in general. An election is no different than a relationship. That's a great way to think about it. I was passionately in love. I was passionately in love, let me tell you. But you can be so in love with something that you forget about who you are. For example, I'll give you my wife and I, two kids. You've been there. You've got Mm -hmm. kids. And we promise ourselves that we are going to have date night Mm -hmm. once a week. Mm -hmm. We make time just for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So if you do run again, Find time for you, and I, I can't say once a week because every every hour is valuable. Mm-hmm. But once every two weeks, I actually think that makes you a better candidate. Mm-hmm. I think it makes you it, it energizes you because it reminds you that you're more than just this. I would fantasize a lot about sitting on the couch, and people talked a lot about the Good Wife. Oh yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I didn't. I had never seen it before. And I, once the campaign was over, I sat on the couch and I watched the entire four or five seasons. So that was my fantasy during the campaign. Is I could not wait to sit on a couch and watch TV. But that's not what I would recommend to do if I did this again. Mm. Just walking out on the lakefront, looking at the lake, is so therapeutic. Anything in nature, I think, reminds you that we're just here temporarily on this planet. All the problems are really just temporary. This lake's going to be here for millions of years, and we're just borrowing time. And, you know, let's try and make this world a little bit better place. And so it kind of, I think, 
calms your nerves. So that's so, what I would do. More of. And a lot of people talk about how running for office takes a toll not only on you but on your family and your friends. How was that for your family seeing you run and go through this and like you said holding your breath for nine months mm-hmm. the times when you're most busy as a candidate you are up early in the morning and you're at the bus stops you're getting signatures at the bus stops early in the morning or at the l stops and then it starts again at three o'clock in the afternoon when people start getting home you know parents are picking their kids up you're at schools you're knocking on doors until the evening and then you get home around eight thirty or 9 so i felt like i didn't see my kid my son who was just freshly an only child because the other two are off at college. I didn't see him for nine months. That was really, really hard, especially because I had been, when I say stay-at-home mom, I was hardly, hardly home because I'm so involved in so many things in the neighborhood. But I didn't cook for him. My husband was great because he stepped up to the plate. He started cooking dinners. He made lunches. He did breakfast and did all those things. (laughs) My, It was funny because at the end, we had a meatloaf dinner one night <laughs> for about the 20th time in the campaign. And my son just looked at it with this sad look in his face. And he was just, I could just tell he was so depressed. He missed my cooking so much. Right, and right. it was definitely a sacrifice. Hey, I, I would tell your son, don't judge dad, because we, we take the path of <laughs> least resistance when it comes to, to a meal. Once you get a meal down... It's like I don't, I don't need to learn anything else. This has everything. I, I, this has everything I want and need. And son, you're just gonna have to deal with it. We're, we're all making sacrifices. This is your sacrifice. Right, right. On the flip side, my son, you know, he worked for the campaign. He got a bunch of his friends from mm-hmm. high school to come in and work on election day. And he worked, he worked both election. He did take a day off of school to work election day. Wow. But I, I, I did send a note to school. I said, there's no education that can match this. When your mom is running for public office, he's going to work election day. So he had some fascinating experiences at the polling place. Yeah. He, he talked with voters. He, yeah. and can you imagine if a kid is standing there saying, my mom is running for office, please yeah. vote for her? People just would light up. They'd ask him a few questions. He's a very well-spoken kid, and this right. made him even better. Right. It was <clears throat> invaluable. He absolutely loved it. He looks forward to doing it again when he's you also had a situation that kind of really showed ugliness you know and probably put your family more in the spotlight than you would have oh, wanted yes right yes and that, and that got that got just that was just ugly yeah uncalled for right oh absolutely there, the situation with the property tax yeah. fraud yeah. that we were accused of as a family it was it was awful it, it was one of those things where my opponent knew we had done nothing wrong, right, but right. the act of just pushing, you know, handing me a piece of paper mm-hmm. at a debate, blindsiding mm-hmm. me, was set up purposely to make me look guilty and made me do something embarrassing and deny and just to see me stumbling around. I did not expect it, and I don't think I handle it poorly, but I really wish I could rewind and, and really <laughs> respond a little bit better to that. And we eventually did. I mean, the Chicago Tribune looked into it. They found that we had done nothing wrong. They talked right. with the assessor's office, mm-hmm. and it was silly, and, and it, was, it was just awful. It was one of those things that really stuck with me right. until the end of the campaign. I can so. could, could imagine. One, one of the things I like about competition – I love competing against people that are great and it pushes you. And then if you win, come back, congratulate that person on the win. If they beat me, hey, great job. Mm-hmm. See you next time. That's great. I don't get the feeling that this was one of those situations where you all kind of talk to each other after and say, that was a really good situation. No. And I called the alderman on her, her personal cell phone. She mm-hmm. had sent out a letter during the campaign with her personal cell phone number and said, call me anytime. And so I called that number. And and she didn't answer, and I left a message, and I just said, I want to let you know 
I'm not contesting the election. And so um, I'm going to wish you luck in the next term. And then she called me back and I picked up the phone and she kind of awkwardly asked me if I would like to have coffee sometime. And I reluctantly said yes. But then I, we hung up and I called right back and I said, you know, I really need you to apologize. It doesn't even have to be public. I just need right, you to apologize right. about that property tax accusation because right. that's still sitting with me and then we can and then we can talk. Well, that call never happened and mm. we've never met. So no, we didn't sit at the Billy Goat and have lunch like, you know, Janulius and Mark Kirk and I think that would be lovely. I don't, I've seen other aldermen, I've seen Brian Hopkins make a graceful gesture to Alex Patterson at a at a public event where he really congratulated her on her race. I've never experienced anything like that. I've basically been ignored. So and you all roll in, in like similar circles because you're, you're really involved. I'm still involved. I'm, right. I'm president of our neighborhood organization and I'm on the Oz Park Advisory Council. I get out and I'm, I'm around. I worked some of the street fairs. I'm involved in a lot, so many different things in the neighborhood. So yeah, I'm everywhere. So you're still involved. What's, what's happening in, in Lincoln Park that people may not know about that they should know about? Let's see. Well, I'm working on a project. You know, I've driven up and down Lakeshore Drive, and mm-hmm. you see those beautiful mosaics in the underpasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in yeah. all the other neighborhoods in the city, I feel like, except Lincoln Park. Right. And I'm thinking, it's Lincoln Park. Why do we not have any right. beautiful artwork mm-hmm. in our underpasses? And so I said, I'm, you know, I'm going to work on this. Some I didn't know how I was going to do it. I have no idea what's involved. I have no idea the expense right. or the effort. I have no idea, but I want to make this happen. And I saw an event at the Cultural Center, and we brainstormed about ideas. And one of the ideas that I threw out and a couple other people threw out was a mosaic in the underpass. And I said, let's do it. Let's figure it out. And they've talked about it before, but it's never happened. And we are now pushing down this path where I think we're going to – I think it's going to happen. And I'm I'm thrilled to be part of this it's just an arts project, but I, we're going to do community oh. brainstorming. We're going to get kids from the Cultural Center, hopefully kids from Lincoln Park High School involved. So I'm thrilled about that. And um, I'm involved at Oz Park. We're trying to resurface our pathetic tennis courts, which are so heavily used. We just got ours. Those are beautiful. You have John Quill. They're done. We want, oh, we John want that. John awesome. I know. We tried to get Coca-Cola to do Oz Park, but they're doing courts other places in the city next year. So shout out to Coca-Cola for, for redoing those courts. They're beautiful. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know Coca-Cola did them. Yeah. Do they have yeah. advertising out there? I think it's a little sign. Yeah. Ah, yeah. that's what that's about. Okay. Yes. The park district does not have money to be doing anything like this. The friends of the park have so much money. They're turning away billions and millions. So what do you mean that the park district doesn't have money? They turn Lucas away. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> well, the park district itself does not. So Oz Park and then I'm, I do some tutoring at Lincoln Park High School. There, Lincoln Park High School is a perfect example of a you know a really socioeconomically diverse school and oh. all sorts of levels of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they have the IB program there. Right? Yeah, the wall wall IB. So there's okay. two different levels, okay. and I tutor kids, and I just I love these kids. They're the most hardworking. These right. kids are determined to get their writing to be better, and I and I yeah. love working with them. So that's fun. You got a lot going on. I do a little bit too much. I'm also trying, I renewed my law license. I just got my ARDC card today and I'm so excited because I've been doing a lot of pro bono legal work. Um, So I'm trying to do that at the same time that I'm kind of keeping my pots on the burners Mm -hmm. here in Lincoln Park. So I, I am a busy person. So the pro bono thing, what what are you working on? What are you doing? Well, it's through an organization called Pro Bono Network based okay. in Oak Park, Illinois. I worked at some of the senior clinics in okay. North Lawndale. You'd go in and at this community center and people would sign up and they'd get advice on powers of attorney mm-hmm. and okay. wills. So 
that was great. I love working with these seniors mm-hmm. and they're yeah. so grateful for help. And they're just trying to get their papers in order and get things straightened out. Right. Some of them have been fleeced. Oh, by everybody. They, <laughs> the, they the pay city, money for electrical work and then, yep, and then they, contractors. Yeah. The workers don't show up yeah. and they lose their money. It's just, they get fined by the city for little things. And then they lose their property. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Before you get to the pro bono network, I'm going to say something. I'm going to challenge you because I think that you might be, I just, this just popped in my head right now. <laughs> I think that you might be, you're, you're not shooting far enough. This time we've, we've sat here, you've talked about volunteering in North Lawndale. You talked about going out to Oak Park and serving that community and probably a little bit east in the Austin area, Lincoln Park. You're making decisions for Lincoln that have the, the city's best interests in mind. There's, a, there's an election coming up soon. <laughs> That's a, probably a little bit bigger than Alderman. And so you have these ideas. You laugh, you chuckle, but I think that there is opportunity to to do that. Oh, you couldn't pay me. But you, they do. They get paid. They get, I know. They get paid. I know. I know they get paid. <laughs> they get yeah. paid. The mayor gets paid. Yeah. I'm sure he's just raking in the dough, that salary. But I think being mayor... It's 20 times harder than being alderman. I love the job of alderman because it's it's so grassroots and you're really in touch with your constituents. I don't get the feeling that, well, especially this mayor is is very much, you know, at the high levels of management and and it's and there's a lot of negativity being thrown mm-hmm. his way. He's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a fun job no, to have fun. to deal with a, an imbalanced budget. Nope. And be cutting services and nope. raising taxes. This is not fun. This is not nope. fun. That's why I feel like you, I think you have the right <laughs> attitude and, and grace to I, do that. I will take that as a compliment, but there's no way ever. <laughs> so, so if I start like a secret campaign and like have people write you in. I, I, no way. Can you imagine running against an incumbent mayor? The money involved. It's going to be really tough. I'm doing little bits each week. Senior clinics, orders of protection for women who are abused by their husbands mm-hmm. or, or vice versa. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's the other way around. Then I work in the Daily Center at the criminal help desk, which people come in with their criminal records, and we advise them on what can be done to erase certain, you yeah. know, if they've had a bunch of arrests, right, but right. they've never been convicted. So people are trying to just get their life back on track, and they're all really nice and really grateful, no, believe no. it or not. I'm not laughing at the situation. Yeah. I'm, I'm more chuckling at how much stuff you're doing Yeah, in the, in the community. <laughs> it's fascinating. It's so, I tell these young lawyers I meet, go, go do this stuff. It is way more fascinating than anything you'll do oh, these, law, these young lawyers are trying to get paid they got I know. and I didn't do it in, I didn't do it in law school either because right. I, did, I didn't have time and I thought oh I don't have time and I just wish I would have it's not that time consuming you can mm. do you can do an hour and it is the most rewarding work right. that you will do I think after this general election that just took place I think you're going to start seeing a lot more activism. I'm going to be more active. I literally thought my vote was enough. I specifically had started rolling off of boards I was on mm-hmm. so I could focus on this podcast. And now I know that I have to do something different. And it's not a problem with Republicans for me. It's not a problem with Democrats or independents. I just never want a person like that, a president-elect, to be that type of person that we have right now. And so I think a lot of people out there feel the same way. And so I think you're going to see an unprecedented amount of activism, especially from such a group of people that have traditionally in the past 20, 30 years have been apathetic. So I think you're going to start seeing that. I, was, I wasn't I was laughing at what you were doing. I was just like, I don't know when you have 
time. Like, literally, I feel bad. <laughs> this is easier than a campaign, let me tell you. I've asked you a couple of tough questions, but not too many tough questions. This is, like, the last part, I promise. So, yes. you're leaving the country. You're leaving Chicago for two to three years. Where, where are you going to get your last lunch and your last dinner? For lunch, I'd have to go to CBA and get a bagel, steamed bagel. Got to do that. And visit my friends at Nookies. I love Nookies. It's mm-hmm. an institution. Just the experience. Nookies um, or Nookies too? <laughs> no, Nookies. nookies. The one I, we go okay. to the one at Wells. We've been to the one on Halstead. Okay. We love we love them all. I used to work at the one on North Halstead okay. um, for the summer before law school. Um, so I would go to Nookies and or CBA for lunch. Let's see. For dinner, we love range on Webster. It's, okay. it's our go-to place. The chef is amazing. The staff is wonderful. Yeah. The food's great. We love the atmosphere. It's easily hands down one of our favorite places. We also, I mean, I could just throw out, we love... Tarantino's. We love Gemini Bistro. Um, mm-hmm. So, so are any of these places where you go in and you just like, hey, Caroline, how are you? Well, doing? yeah, range. They they know us oh. at range and Tarantino's. We know uh, Johnny and oh, there's another place on Lincoln Avenue that's yeah. fantastic. Dick Dick Why, I think. Yeah, okay, or, or I don't yeah. know if that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. Maybe Dicky. I don't know. Fantastic. Oh. It's Dutch and Tunisian. Okay, delicious. Delicious. All yes. right. So you so. just named a few spots that I need to hit up. Honestly, that's one of the things I love about this and, neighborhood. Yeah, Rickshaw Republic. Two more, fa- so I can keep yeah, going. You can but keep no, going. Yeah, yeah. So you so you make it up for not yeah. being able to eat when you're on the, the campaign. Yeah, no kidding. I'm gonna roll out of here. Okay. The okay. Best year, so. Okay. Um, so what do you believe is outside? Of, I know you. I know you like uh, Lakeshore Drive and mm-hmm. along the lake and the lake path. What's one of the secret spots in, in Lincoln Park that people don't know about, but they should go see that? Soon to be your mosaic that's going on. Yeah, but, soon to be the mosaic. Yeah. I just love walking through Lincoln Park and the ponds, the North Pond and the South Pond. Mm-hmm. I, I usually go there because you could just never get sick of it. We walk our dog around Oz Park a lot. Oz Park is very heavily used and very mm-hmm. well loved. We also love walking west and going to the 606. You go through uh, the, okay. old, the old Finkel plant. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's kind of a dump right now, but it's kind of fun to think about the possibilities mm-hmm. of what's going to happen there and it's kind of like that old industrial feel and you really feel like you're on another planet i mean all the little pocket parks throughout the ward are just they're just treasures every every last one of them i just i love all of them so last but not least i i try to let my guests ask me a question are you ever going to run for public uh, office? <laughs> <laughs> Nailed ya. <laughs> uh, oh. I've actually talked to my wife about it. Similar to your concerns, I, I'm probably a little bit too blunt. I don't use the consultant speak and all this and all that. And I think if I did run, I would come out and say, hey, these are all my skeletons. I'm going to let you know what they are so you don't have to dig for them. Mm-hmm. This is what they are. And that wouldn't work very well. I would be <laughs> kind of like a uh, straight talk. One of the things you mentioned is that that you get to such a high level that you you, you don't interact with the people. Um, no matter what level I am, I, I always, when I was a controller at a plant, my team, we would spend an hour on the floor. So with the people working the line, mm-hmm. understand what they do, mm-hmm. understand the numbers. So whether I'm an alderman or a mayor, I want to be out with the people. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an hour or two a day that I'm out interacting that's with the people. Where, that was the joy yeah. of running, and that's where I get would get my energy. The negative ads, to a certain extent, the debates right. were just, that yep. was not it. It was talking to people and just hearing their stories. So to answer your question, I would love to. Uh, I don't think I'm built to be front and center person, but I, I wouldn't mind being on the leadership team of a person that did 
that did run and like help and advise and things like that. But I don't, I don't think running, I don't think that's in the cars for my family. I mean, I get, I get grief just doing a podcast. Yeah. So like, like being, <laughs> being out, yeah. being out for like, you know, seven to nine months. But I, I do think I need to get involved because I, I, I have decent ideas and I have a, I have an interesting yeah. perspective. I've seen both sides of the tracks. I've seen the good and people will call it bad places. Mm-hmm. I've seen the bad in these bad places and I've seen the good in these good places mm-hmm. and I've seen the really ugly in these, in these good places. And so I think I bring a, that perspective and a lot of people have invested a lot of time and energy into my education and kind of my background. And I feel like when someone, when people have given you so much, you have to give back. So it might not be public service, but it, it, it'll be something it could, it could, it, it could turn out to be this podcast. So I want to be involved. I just don't know if politics is ready for, this person literally coming out with a list of 30 things. Yeah. I did this. I did this. You're going to find this. Yup. Yeah. This, this happened in this year. I don't, yeah. I don't think yeah. they're ready. I don't well, think. I think you would relate really well to people. I think, I think you'd be a, a great candidate, but then, you know, Oh my gosh, it's such a, it's Definitely. so fraught with peril. <laughs> it is. <laughs> oh, the thought of it. I think I, I think I escaped relatively unscathed, mm-hmm. but man, I think about it oh. seriously. If I, if I'm going to do it again, here's the $1.5 million question. So it's going to be 1.5 million times, you know, one point whatever raised to the the number of years that's past power, right? Because it's going to it's going to cost more. The 1.8 million dollar question: Are you going to run again? You know, if you asked me last night, I I was in a really bad place, thinking I I just I hate politics. I hate <laughs> everything about it. Yeah. And so I'm. I really don't like to be like that because when I talk about my race, I really think, I think of so many positive things, but mm-hmm. there's, yeah. what I don't like is being out there now post, post election and, and people wondering about everything I'm doing mm-hmm. and thinking it's calculated. That's what I do not like. And part yeah. of me wants to just do good in some other way. I can, I, I can I attest honestly, that you're not, you're not doing it for those reasons. Cause I, I met yeah. you before you ran and you were, well, you do, but you do start to question yourself. Everything you do, you think, well, uh, would I do this if I weren't thinking about running? And, and that, that just drives me, it drives mm-hmm. me crazy. So I'm really trying to shed that and almost tell myself, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this again because I, I want to get back to doing things, knowing that I'm doing yeah. it just because I want to do it. Yeah. And so I, one of my volunteer activities, I got so much grief and I'm thinking I'm volunteering my time and I'm getting so much pushback, I think for political reasons. And it's that to me, that's just drives me crazy when you're just trying to do good for your community. I think it's important to, to block that out and know, know oneself. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so if you, if you have doubts because of what externally some people mm-hmm. who are politically motivated, it's easier for me to say because <laughs> I, I, yeah, I wasn't just, in it. Yeah. But I think it's important to kind of block it out and stay true to yeah. yourself because I talked to you before you like when you were running mm-hmm. and shortly thereafter and you're like, I'm going to take it easy. And then, I'm, and then once I figure it out, I'm going to jump in. I don't think you, whether you were running or again or not, mm-hmm. that that would change the things that you're doing. You were, yeah, you were in North Lawndale before I, you decided to run. I know. I love doing this stuff. This is absolutely not, that stuff is not campaign related. It's, it's yeah. more. People are keeping track of you, even though a person's not looking at you when you go to certain <laughs> events, I can guarantee you they're watching. You. Yeah. So, I have a feeling. So, Caroline, I want to thank you for coming in again. You are so uh, welcome. Right, right before Thanksgiving. And we talked before. I do want to make a small, but in my world, significant. <laughs> it's small, but it's a big deal to me because 
you know, I got bills to pay. I want to, I do want to make a donation oh, that's so uh, great. to your organization. Thank um, you. It's Pro Bono Network. Pro Bono Network. Okay. So I, I found the webpage. Okay. So I'll look up how I need to do all that thank stuff. Thank you. And, oh, uh, I'm so, I'm, I'm really touched and thank you so much. Oh, thank you for coming in. Deeper Dish is hosted by Farah and Hank. Intro, mixing, editing is done by Alyssa Moxley. Produced by me, Farah. Our outro was performed by From Beyond These Walls, and the song is City of Dystopia. If you want to contact us directly, feel free to contact us at deeperdishshy at gmail.com. D E E P E R D I S H C H I at gmail.com. Or on Twitter, our handle is at deeperdishshy. Our website is www.deeperdishshy.com. Special thanks to Caroline Vickery for coming in on two different occasions to save my ass. Thank you. See you all next time.